0: turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan.
1: Welcome to the show. Today we have a special guest, Trey Hargrave. Trey is with Dental Space Advisors and is based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He is one of the country's foremost dental real estate experts. He's helped many general dentists find and secure the ideal location for their startup dental practice, as well as many pediatric dentists, orthodontists, periodontists, oral surgeons, and prosthodontists. He's helped start up dental practices in various cities across the country, including all major and minor markets throughout Texas, including Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and many others.
2: Trey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Ross. Excited to be here.
1: So obviously people can gather that you're in commercial real estate by listening to the bio, but you're not just a commercial real estate broker. So kind of tell people what you do.
2: So we are commercial real estate advisors to dental professionals at all stages of their practice life cycle. That's, you know, sometimes a startup looking to do their first office. Sometimes it's an established office looking to potentially relocate. We help with multi-location strategy. So doctors that are are doing a second, third, fourth, and so on, Uh, or even doctors that are in a renewal situation, helping them through the strategy of that, whether to renew uh, should we consider moving the practice? How do we gain and develop leverage in that situation, uh, which oftentimes can be a challenge. But really, our meat of what we do, it's it's advisory. Uh, it's trying to be consultants, advisors to dentists through this process, guiding them honestly through this, this journey of starting out on their own uh, or anything involving real estate choices or selections at any stage of their career. Our focus is not on being salespeople. Uh, that's just not how we're wired or structured. We're very much what our our name implies, and that's advisors. So we talked,
1: you know, offline, and so the way you guys approach it is vastly different and um, more strategic and detailed than a lot of than the way a lot of commercial real estate agents deal with finding a space. Talk a little bit about how you're different and not that they're wrong, but just how you're different in in the way you approach it.
2: Yeah. I I think a lot of it comes down to, so listen, there's, there's thousands of commercial brokers out there in in our market alone. We're based out of, of Texas, but headquarters is in Dallas, DFW. There's probably over a thousand commercial brokers in DFW. And many of those would likely be competent enough to get a transaction done. Now, what we focus on is high-performance results. It's high-performance offices. And so it's, it's everything that we do and the approach we take to helping making the process understandable, effective, relational, and ultimately successful for any doctor we're guiding through it. If we just have knowledge on real estate and not on the dental industry, changes in the industry, the complexity of it and where things are going. You know, there's only such a small percentage or angle that we're approaching that client where they're not getting the full picture. We want to give them the full picture. Um, Part of that as well, we really were big on interpretation of information, trying to make it efficient, easy to understand, not to complicate the process. People are busy enough out there and overwhelmed with everything they've got on their plate. The last thing we want to do is put more on their plate to overwhelm them even further. We try to take the complexity of this process, break it down simply, make it easy to understand, uh, and then just make sure that they're, we're having an honest relationship with each other. It's being candid at every turn, uh, being their checks and balances. And so I, I would say what someone out there wants, if they're thinking about going through the process, whether it's, it's with someone like us or, or not, You want to have honest conversations with this relationship. This is a long-term relationship that you're going to enter into. The process for us, average client timeline is about 12 months, give or take. Uh, Through that process, you do develop relationships with these people, and it needs to be a good fit personality-wise. So for us, the the way our style of communication is the way we guide clients through the process. It's never going to be high pressure. It's never going to be a salesy approach. And if I'm putting myself in the doctor's shoes, that's the last thing I want. I don't want someone who's trying to sell me on something. Um, So we're not going to be coming in using sensational, you know, approach. We're going to be very honest. We're going to be very direct. We're going to be very candid, uh, but ultimately in an advisory posture. That's what we're about.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot more than, hey, I saw this sign on the space available. Can I get in there? You know, it's a lot more than a lot of people realize. Talk about. You know, some of the issues, whether it's like, you know, how important the location is and like for you know, whether it's like, hey, you want to be in a strip center. Well, actually, you'd rather be in a medical office complex or, you know, the demographics of a location. Like you could have the great, the best demographics, but if your access is not very good, it's going to it's going to really have a negative effect, effect on everything.
2: Well, and, and, and that's a good point. So I'll break that down into answers. So that starting with the second You know, location obviously is very important. Demographics is a validator in many ways to that. Now, everybody out there from a commercial real estate platform provides demographics. And doctors, I think, are told entering into this process how critical uh, getting demographics and competition data are. Now, the difference is instead of just throwing out a report to you of 50 pages with a lot of random numbers without any context, zero interpretation and very little direction, at the end of the day, those are just numbers. But what, what really it comes down to, it comes down to a collaborative approach, someone who's guiding you through that has the knowledge, the expertise, but is able to break that down and interpret it and give them direction to have that then take you on a path towards hopefully what is the targeted ideal location. You'll see a lot of these brokers out there that they'll you know think more is better. You know, it's, it's quantity, not quality. Uh, so they'll send this huge report, trying to impress a doctor. The doctor gets this and says, "Okay, looks great, but I, I have no idea what to, you know what to do with this. I don't know how to interpret these numbers, or how this leads me into the direction I need to go for the location I want to choose." For us, it's about balancing that approach. It's it's taking these numbers, it's making it very easy to understand our visual presentation. We do a lot of infographics. The last thing I want to do is send a 20-page report of a bunch of random numbers and have a doctor be more confused than they were before they got it. Um, so having a visual presentation of the data, easy to understand, only the key relevant information that they really need to know. And that's dental specific. That's what's important. And then it's giving interpretation and direction to that. It's having conversations about it, making sure they understand it, even on the competition let ratio.
1: Me, let me let me interrupt you. You said there's that's dental specific because, you know, you could be... A lot of times people will say medical and dental are the same thing. And there's obviously a lot of overlapping. But if you're an oncologist, it doesn't really matter what your ingress, egress is. It doesn't really matter what the demographics are. If someone has cancer, they're going to the oncologist versus a dentist. It's got to be a little more customer patient focused versus a medical scenario in many cases. Am I right?
2: It is. I mean, the reality is, and there's different ways to look at this, but you are, you're a community-based practice. You're not an impulsive destination like a restaurant would be. So it's, it's how you build that presence. It's what the community around you reflects and how that fits the goals of the, the type of practice you want to have. And all of that is validated in many ways by the demographics and the data. But it's got to be a collaborative approach. You have to have honest conversations with whoever the advisor is you're working with, about what's behind those numbers. So for instance, I'll give an example. If I sent you a location and it had a dentist to population ratio, meaning the number of dental providers in that area in relation to the amount of population density, uh, that said over one per 3,000, meaning one dentist per 3,000 people serving in that area, that would be considered a very good ratio. Um, historically, we like to look at anything over one per 2,000. Now, there's a lot more to that. If you go out to that site and you see five dentists across the street, let's say three are are major DSOs, which are extremely aggressive on on marketing, and then two are uh, large established private practices, I don't care how strong that ratio is of one per 3,000, it feels competitive. And we need to know, we need to understand who these competitors are, how your space compares to them, and how you're going to be positioned as the new dentist coming into a situation of pretty strong competition around you. So even within that data, it's having these conversations. It's guiding each other through this where we're giving you an honest assessment of that. Even if the data says this could be favorable, will it be, will it be favorable? And then even in that, it's it's getting the relevant data. Is a three mile radial analysis an appropriate evaluation of the competition for that location, or is there a trade area? Are there, there are artificial boundaries that three miles not really taking into account where it's not really reflecting the true accurate picture of where you're drawing patients from? Those are conversations we want to have. What is relevant? What makes sense? And what's the best approach to evaluating this location for your new practice? Now, going back real quick to the first, retail versus medical office, we get this all the time. I think it is situational, and it's, it's situational based on market, based on the individual, based on what the norm or trend is for dental practices in that city or that town. Uh, for instance, for Texas, the major metroplexes... Retail is a big deal right now. The consumer expects convenience and convenience is often found, found, oftentimes found in retail. Uh, Now, does that mean you have to go retail? Absolutely not. There's some doctors that from a professional image just have a really tough time picturing themselves going into a retail environment. And I totally get that. Aesthetically, professionally, there's a lot to be desired about a medical office or a professional office setting. Um, But what you really have to understand or you you have to think about is, okay, based on the type of dentistry you want to practice, based on the profile of the patient you want to attract, and the overall impression you're going for, aside from the attributes everybody wants, like visibility, accessibility, signage, all that, are you the strip center dentist or, or not? You know, would you be comfortable with a liquor store or a CBD shop coming in? And if they do, how does that impact your impression for patients? Those are questions a doctor has to ask personally. Now, you're still balancing that with what everybody else in the market's doing. If you're the only dentist on the block and there's 15 other practices that are all in these high visibility, high profile retail strip centers, and you're the one who's hidden and tucked back off the street, you need to understand how that's going to impact your ability to draw patients in the door locating in that type of situation.
1: Well, in the strip center thing, you also have to take into account, do you want to own? Because there's never an opportunity, rarely is there an opportunity to own if you're in the retail center versus if you're in a medical office, you can own.
2: Which is true. And, and there's long-term goals that that play into that. If you have aspirations to grow into a multi-location practice, uh, bringing up capital where you're leasing in a retail environment, starting out and then going and growing it to second, third, fourth, that has to be consideration versus tying up capital in one location in a building that you own and practice out of.
1: What do you see as the biggest mistake dentists make when it comes to real estate?
2: I think it's when they, they get caught up and focused on singular items instead of looking at, at the big picture. To give examples of that, I've had clients where they are their preference or, or their, their ideal practice is high-end dentistry. It's laser dentistry, cosmetic, uh, a higher-income patient, and they've ultimately pursued a real estate location that was cheap rent. Or it was, let's say, a former dental office where they had blinders on because they were seeing several hundred thousand dollars of cost savings, which I don't blame them. I like deals as well. But that's what they pursued. And it's because they were looking at savings or they were looking at how much allowance the landlord was willing to give or something blingy instead of really the big picture of, okay, does this location fit the type of dentistry I want to practice, the type of patient I want to draw in? And is there a connection of both? So to give an example of what I was just talking about, you know, I've had doctors that have gone into what I would call a demographic that's kind of more your Honda Accord or Honda Civic uh, community, which there's nothing wrong with. I drove a Honda Accord for a long time. Um, but if you're trying to practice in a Rolls Royce type uh, practice environment, and those are the treatments you want to, uh, to do – it's gonna be really tough to make the connection to that community because that's not the fit. And that's what I see where people jump into mistakes. It's where they have singular focus that dictates their decision on where they ultimately locate. And it's not a long-term fit with what their goals and objectives really were getting started.
1: And saving money on the front end will end up costing you money, typically a multiple of what you saved, it will cost you over the long haul. Even if that means having to move spaces or your revenues down, you know, because moving is not, is not inexpensive, I'm assuming.
2: It's not. And, long, you know, dentists are usually long-term occupants. Um, they have one of the, the longest average occupancies of any other business out there. And a lot of the reason is the investment they put into the space. Uh, but I think beyond any of that, what it comes down to is where do you see yourself having a successful practice? What's the best opportunity to achieve that? And does that practice location fit the type of dentistry you want to do? That's what it has to be about. This is all about growing a successful practice. Real estate uh, is supportive of that, but it's secondary at the end of the day. So whether you lease it or you own it, that decision is secondary to where can I go and have the most successful practice starting out? So what kind
1: of uh, what type of things can a dentist get from a landlord that they're usually not aware of that working with someone like you? you're able to kind of help negotiate those things?
2: So there's positives that we certainly will get, and then there's there's negatives or there's pitfalls that we we help avoid. And it's all about trying to mitigate that risk and surprise and then maximize their success. So specifics, uh, I'll start with some of the negatives. Um, in the past couple of weeks, I've had leases where the landlord has been adamant on retaining a percentage of the practice sale. So when the doctor goes to sell their practice, they want to retain the uh, percentage of the consideration uh, of, of the actual practice sale. Wow. You can imagine how crazy that is. If it's, it's a million-dollar practice and landlord sets to gain, you know, 200 grand from it, it's, it's crazy. And there's landlords out there doing that. And they're sliding these in or slipping these into leases. Uh, and you could have an unsuspecting doctor that agrees to that unknowingly and what do you know, when it comes time to assign their lease under a practice sale, the landlord has claims to 20% of that practice, of the practice valuation. We see, uh, boy, there, there's a pitfall of stuff. Something that, that happens quite a bit in existing spaces that are older buildings is, is asbestos. Uh, it's hazardous material. Doctors oh, that are- worms. And it is opening up a can of worms, uh, and that could be a 10000 to $20,000 remediation cost. And so if you don't know to ask for that and to get landlord to pay for it, that's at your expense, and it's being tacked on everything else you're paying for. What we have a lot here in DFW and in Texas in general, it's because we're developing at such a high rate. There's things called road impact fees, change of use fees. And these impact fees could be—I just had one the other day. Forty. Usually, see that in developments, but now you're seeing it in leases. These are these are being transferred from the landlord to the tenant uh, because what these landlords are doing is trying to get any way, any approach to pass through cost to the tenant in every single situation. And so, when they're going to develop these sites. They're looking at their cost basis in the deal, and they're also looking at what could we transfer or delay a cost that we would naturally incur and pass that on to the tenant. One way of doing that is in the the form of impact fees or change of use fees. Instead of making dental an approved use in a new building, they make a general retail and and they pass that cost through to the tenant when they go to uh, submit permits. So I just, we just had a client that had a landlord send them a $45,000 bill last week for an impact fee that they should have been responsible for. Now, fortunately, that was an item that we're always sensitive to in the lease review, and we had it as a landlord responsibility. So they were not happy or pleased when we went back, referenced that language, and said, hey, this is actually your forty five grand bill. Now, if you didn't have that coverage, that's a hit, and that's a big, big hit.
1: Well, there's no uh, and, way. There's no way a dentist without the proper real estate agent would ever know that or catch that.
2: It well, and again, it's it's about checks and balances. It's having a, a good attorney. It's having a good real estate broker because they don't compete. They're collaborative with each other, and, and they check and balance each other's review. Your broker should be looking heavily from a business and uh, an economic perspective, and that's that's all items of the biz- business not just the economics of the deal, but your attorney obviously is going to have more legal focus. So there's a lot of avenues that are not going to be necessarily versed on that you need to have a team approach to make sure that you're mitigating that risk.
1: So what you're telling me is uh, the real estate industry has evolved from triple triple net leases to quadruple net leases now.
2: (laughs) It can. And and these management fees, you need to make sure you understand how those are being uh, detailed within the lease document because they can, you know, if it's open-ended, they can technically charge whatever they want for property management if you don't have a cap or a limit to how much those can increase uh, or how much they can be, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. So what do you see out there um, with the real estate market slowing down and interest interest rates going up? What do you see out in the commercial
2: market right now? So commercial hasn't, at least, and again, I'm always hesitant to speak generally because each market across the country is different. And we do work within different markets throughout the country, but our main focus is Texas. Texas has not incurred a slowdown on commercial real estate. Now, there have been some impacts. Um, so rising interest rates, for instance, has made some developers out there that were considering a new development. They may be hesitating right now, or they may have, may have pulled back. Their lender may be pulling back. They're also what I'm seeing is these lenders that were lending to these developers to go out and build a a 20,000 square foot shopping center, many times spec, where they weren't even requiring a certain amount of that building to be pre committed or pre leased. Now they're being more rigid in that. They're they're saying, look, we're not going to lend that money unless we get at least 50 to 60% of that threshold committed before you move forward. Uh, it was the Wild West. You know, We it was just such a, and it has been so vibrant, but now because of interest rates, you do have lenders looking at that more. Now, demand has not slowed. Demand has been a rapid pace, and this has been most of Texas. Now, our market's a little different than other places, but rarely do you have the volatile chain reaction of what residential is incurring to commercial. Now, it may lag, and, and some folks, uh, experts in, in the dental industry are saying still right now we're on COVID hangover of patients and build up uh, in high demand. And at some point that's going to trail. But from a commercial real estate, because of the complexity involved, you just don't have the volatile personal overreaction like you do in the residential market. So we haven't seen it. Uh, Now, there are some things impacting because of the rates. You have some developers that I think are going to continue pressing pause or at least thinking twice about developing centers and what that's going to do it's likely going to create a shortage of supply. Um, We already are undersupplied in terms of product, commercial real estate product here in Texas compared to the level of demand. There's a lot of demand and that demand has stayed high. Occupancy rates have been at near historic highs. We're close to 96 to 97% in most of the major metroplexes across Texas. So you have very little vacancy, but you have very little product coming online on the market. That demand has stayed at a very, very high point. So it is going to be interesting if you have developers pressing pause on new development, given that demand seemingly is not slowing down.
1: What do you see, um, or maybe a better way to say this is, when should a dentist consider buying versus leasing, and when
2: should they consider leasing versus buying? So if this were in a vacuum, if everything else was equal and the opportunity was equal, buying is always going to be attractive. The thought of ownership of equity building your own legacy the flexibility that can allow you uh not only in your occupancy there but also when it comes time to sell it you can be the landlord at that point um you know there's a lot of attraction to that tax incentives now you know it, it does come with a cost you're tying up more capital and as a startup dentist that can be scary when you go in with that that cost basis where you don't have a single patient guaranteed to come through the door it's a large capital investment to make. Uh, and that's why a lot of times who we will see buy condos or buy real estate will be an established practice. They've already built up a patient base. It becomes at that point in their career more about long term future because they're already stable. They've stabilized the practice as a new practice. A lot of times because you have a growth mindset, I have to come in, generate patients and grow that to stabilize it. Oftentimes that ends up being a lease scenario. Now, at the end of the day, whether it's lease or or own, it's all about the opportunity. It's about where will you go in, have the best opportunity for success. If that is in a ownership option, great. Uh, In fact, we probably would prefer that if that opportunity exists for many reasons. Uh, Now, I will say the majority of startups do end up in lease scenarios. That's by far the most common. When you look at opportunities in the market, and this is most of Texas, and I've seen this nationally as well, you're going to have a vast uh, abundance of lease options over purchase options. Purchase options are just limited. A lot in commercial real estate is sold as investment, meaning if they put it on the market, it's oftentimes 100% leased or occupied property that they're selling nationally as an investment opportunity. So usually you're just not going to have an abundance of ownership opportunities in commercial real estate. Most are going to be leased. Do you
1: ever see landlords charging a rent based off uh, the revenue of the practice?
2: What they try to do is is do what's called percentage rent. So to a degree, yes. Uh, and in fact, to the prior point we had, I see that in, in most leases where they try asking for this language. Now, something it's one of the key foundational points we strike right away. We as a dental or medical office should never have to pay to landlord a percentage of our profits to kick back in addition to rent. Now what's crazy is restaurants do. It's very common in most restaurant leases here in Texas. Retail does too to a lot of times. And retail retail will too. Uh, and so what that means to the viewers, you know, this restaurant going in that's paying their base rent and they're paying their expenses, their triple nets to a landlord. And then in addition to that, they're paying a percentage of their profits over an established break even point back to the landlord. So landlord is actually benefiting from their business doing well because they're receiving a portion of those profits. That could even be in addition to paying for the patio space as well. Uh, those aren't free. Patios are not free. So they're paying that too. So you look at these restaurants and retailers and the volatility of closures on that, but then you look at the margins and the landlords are not helping their, their factor, but for dentists, it should never be something you agree to in your lease where you're paying a percentage of your profits of the practice back to the building owner. should not happen.
1: So if someone wanted to work with you, what does that process look like?
2: So it starts with an initial conversation, whether that be a, a coffee, a Zoom call, you know, face-to-face. But it's really us finding more out about you, finding out about your situation, your background. I love hearing people's stories. Um, that's my favorite part of what we do is – is hearing individual stories. And you'll see that those are always different. Um, so it's finding out their goals and objectives, finding out what their long-term goals are or short-term goals. And then we go high level. High level of, okay, here, here's the process. Uh, here's how we, we can get started together. But for us, we like to take a targeted approach. So the more detail and more collaboration we can have on the front end, the better the results on the back end. We're not quick to rush into the process because there is a lot to it. Uh, And for us, we want to hit the bullseye. We don't want to just throw a dart blindly uh, without really knowing what we're looking for. So that does require it requires conversations and meetings up front before we get into the meat of looking at spaces. So
1: working with you, it's really a relationship, even a long term relationship. This is not a transaction like, you know, a lot of people foresee it in these types of
2: situations. Man, to to quote one of my favorite movies, The Godfather, um, you know, it's it's opposite of what they say. You know, in, in the movie, they say that this isn't personal, it's strictly business. Well, it's, it's the opposite for us. Uh, and it has to be when you work with someone for a year plus, in most cases, it is personal. It's not just business. Uh, you start to develop a relationship with them and vice versa. I've got clients that, I helped as, as long as four or five, six years ago that I meet for dinner. And, and because of that, you know, you went through this process together at such a critical time in their career. You know, this is their family's livelihood. And, and you take that personally. And so it's natural you're going to have a relationship with them. You know, I'll see some people in sales that have a 30 minute sales process and boom, it's on to the next one. And, you know, naturally, because of the process, you're just not going to have a, a relational aspect to that. But it is very different in, in in this process it's just such a long extensive timeline that it's it's it is it's natural to develop a relationship with the folks that you work with
1: now you do a lot of work with startups but you also work a lot with existing practices correct that's correct and if so yeah, we go ahead no go ahead no i was going to just change subject so I finish that thought right there
2: Well, and we work a lot with doctors that are considering retiring in five to 10 years, and they're trying to get the most out of their practice valuation. And part of that decision is, is relocating an option. What does my cost basis look like if I were to do that versus the gain I could receive uh, by upgrading an office location and and getting back a multiple on on when I sell it? Um, So it's trying to advise them through that. Does this make sense? What does the return on investment look like? And then for doctors that are already the multi-location, we help with the strategy on growing it further. And maybe their out or eventual game plan is to, to sell it to a DSO or private equity. And it's, it's what does that look like on the consistency of locations to be attractive if you do por- portfolio sell it in the future.
1: That's great. So if someone wanted to work with you, how would they get in touch with you?
2: So reach out in any method, can email, can call, can find our website or Facebook page. Uh, that's all pretty visible under Dental Space Advisors. My name and bio is on our website, and my email address is on there as well.
1: So it's dentalspaceadvisors.com. And is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have asked that, that you feel would be really important to uh, to share?
2: I think a lot of people right now are worried about just the the future what the future holds um not only the market dentistry you've got dso and public consolidation aspect to it i think people are just nervous in general and uh, i I think uh you know a good example of you know to to kind of give the big picture there's in 1984 there's a dental student that walked into his first day of dental class Uh, his name was jordan and he was told by the professor allegedly the golden age of dentistry was over and that if he was looking for a successful career, he picked the wrong industry. Uh, So almost 40 years ago, it changed the entire course of this kid's life. And he went into something different. Uh, This guy's name was Jordan Belfort, otherwise known as the Wolf of Wall Street. And he went completely different course. Now, I say that for two reasons. One, the golden age of dentistry was not over. We clearly know that Uh, over 40 years. It's amazing to see what's transpired. But number two, when you're talking to friends or colleagues and you're reading things online or Facebook, a lot of times you do see the anxiety that others are producing without really getting the full picture. And so I think we're still positioned really well in dentistry. You chose a great career. The market historically is always going to have ups and downs. Dentistry is going to have ups and downs. Um, But the champions of private dentistry, it's still a very important, very important thing. Um, and, and it's still extremely profitable to go and open a practice, but you have to do it right. I would argue that owning
1: a dental practice is a license to print money. It's, <laughs> it's, an, well, it's an incredible opportunity if you treat it like a business. Now, not everyone does. And they, you've heard me, if you listen to this podcast, you heard me talk about that a lot, but it's a, it's an incredible opportunity. So, um, if you're a dentist, kudos to you, pat yourself on the back. Just take advantage of that. So, Trey, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a very informative conversation.
2: Appreciate it, Ross. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan.
0: This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com.
3: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Paz, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. External sites and material are provided for your convenience in locating related information and services. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311. 850-562-9075. Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian. New York, New York, PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 1613-9032. And California Insurance License Number 00L-10073-2022-148268 expires 1224.